It's Thursday. It's Vox Podcast Day. Happy Thursday today uh, in the Erie home, last day of school. So there have been a multitude of assemblies, award ceremonies, graduation dictates that have been sat through, um, some joyfully, some non-joyfully. <laughs> what, you don't, you don't enjoy sitting and... Now, watching other kids be acknowledged for their how great they are? No, I love that. It, you could just do it a lot faster. <laughs> like so so True. so Hannah had an assembly today and there was like every single class read a verse, sang a song, got affirmed, had a blessing, played prayed over them, you know, their teacher spoke. I mean, it was like, you know, we could have done this a little quicker. Yeah. Really? What do you what are you doing right now? Are we on? Oh yeah, we're on. Just, are we just, going? Just making sure. Okay, you scare me when you when you switch out headphones like that. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Facebook Live, and and uh, usually that means the five or six of you that are actually live, um, we're very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 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 twelve hundred of you that watch later. So it's always <laughs> weird knowing that um, that this will be uh, this will stick around for a little bit. So. Um, anyway, hello. We're glad you're here. Um, it is two nineteen on uh, Thursday afternoon, and uh, Seth Erie's bus arrives at two twenty four, which means it, sometimes, sometimes a little later than that. Yep. Which means there could be a very delightful interruption right in the middle yeah. of uh, Facebook Live, All right. where where Seth will. Um, um, uh, he'll give some answers to yeah. some big questions. So anyway, Andy, uh, we've got some questions. We've we got do. some Q's and maybe we'll have some A's. We don't know. Yep. That's right. Here okay. We lay go. it on us. Lay it on us. First one. Okay. So often I have found church after church and pastor after pastor who teach and claim their own anxiety based insecurities. Who teach and, and, and claim and their claim. own anxiety and, and insecurities. Okay. All right. All right. Or claim to have anxiety. I don't know. Okay. 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 I understand that the church is an imperfect system run by imperfect people to serve a perfect God and will never be complete until the second coming. Okay. However, I do not understand why there is rampant denying of the core message of Jesus, hope, love, and grace offered to all. I struggle with trusting pastors in churches because of this. How can um, how can such love be offered yet continuously erroneously conditional? How can a pastor slash church claim such power in Jesus yet directly go against said power? Sorry for the rambling. Did you add that part or was that on the question? No, that's in the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a standard anti disclaimer. Now. Um, <laughs> Okay, if I under if I'm understanding the question, which I may not be, right? Um, the question seems to be that I have a hard time trusting pastors and churches, um, which welcome to the club. And um, I think there is, uh, I think there has been a wonderful shift. And now it's it's got certainly it's certainly not all for the good, but but there has been a shift in the way that people see pastors and churches, and uh, there's a bit of a you know, lessening of like the the power and the persona, and you know, a loosening of how much we attach to their giftedness or whatever. So I, I think that's probably a good thing. Um, I'm not I'm not sure I understand if if the question is, hey, how come more churches don't authentically live out the call to love enemy and to love all without condition? Well, it's hard. First of all, secondly, the church uh, churches. Um, like any human institutions, can become tribal. So their denomination, their group, mm-hmm. their community—you uh, begin to prioritize insiders over outsiders. I mean, you know, you know, Jesus was constantly battling that. 
But what? I think here, here's how I'm reading the question. I think. Oh, so am maybe, I misreading? Maybe, maybe, maybe okay. you're misreading. What I'm what I'm hearing is it, Stop sa- it sounds like churches she's been to is pastors. How do being, you know it's a she? He. Okay, sorry. I guess I. I don't know why I said she. Good oh point. no, no. We'll make her. We'll make her gendered. Yeah. Um. They. Um, it sounds like they actually have been to a lot. This is why I think it's surprising is because it sounds like they're saying they've been to churches where pastors are open and honest about their anxieties. Oh, and that's good. And that's a good. And that's, and they're saying they struggle with pastors in churches who do that. Like kind of like, Oh, you know, we're all broken. We're all like kind of more of the message of like the largeness of our brokenness. But then what's that? How's that relate to, I the... struggle with trusting pastors in churches because of this. How can such love be offered yet continuously conditional? How can a pastor claim such power in Jesus? yet directly go against said power. Like it's suggesting that um, the power of Jesus suggests, uh, you know, hope, love, and grace offered to all. Right. But yet we're constantly focusing on our brokenness. Like there's no redemption. Like there's no, like it sounds like there's... That's the question? That's that's how I'm reading it. Like okay. it's, it's, it is, it does, it's articulated kind of weird, but like, cause that's, she's making the claim, he or she is making the claim that um, pastor after pastor who teach and claim their own anxiety-based insecurities. Okay. So that means like, okay, so pastors that are being willing to share their brokenness. Which seems like a good thing. Which seems like a good thing. Right. But they seem like they're getting too much of it. Like that's like they're fatigued by that. And they're having a hard time trusting pastors in churches because of this. How can such love be offered like the love of Jesus, the power that. of Jesus continuously and conditionally if you're constantly engaging your brokenness and imperfection. Welcome to Facebook Live, where we we don't even understand the questions. <laughs> so hey, so if you wrote that question and you're writing this in, can you rewrite it and clarify? Yeah, I have no that's, idea. That's that's how I'm reading it, but that's strange to me because I don't come across churches that are like that. Because I thought you were saying <laughs> that that many of us um, operate out of insecurities, um, and because of that, we don't we're not consistent in our application of Jesus's love for all. Yes. Okay. Or, or, or love. It's even reads as love for self either like that. We're not forgiving ourselves. I don't know. I don't I, know. I don't know. Okay, great. Number two. Okay. <laughs> glad, hey, glad we can help. Hey, if you hear that, if you can rearticulate that or anybody rearticulates that better than we've come to understand it, take a shot. Yeah. Um, what are your feelings on hell? Some believe, uh, some believe, believe it's a place of eternal torment, yep. but others believe it's a place of annihilation where evil ceases to exist. Some yep. also believe it's a state of purgatory and eventually everyone becomes reconciled with God. Do you believe in the possibility of universal reconciliation? Um, well, yes, yes and no. I mean, I, I believe that God will do every single thing uh, God can to woo every single human into relationship with God's self. I think that is absolutely true. Um, I, I don't know if, if everyone will be universally reconciled. Why, while, if that were true, why would there be so many warnings about judgment? Why would there be right. so many warnings about um, uh, consequences of uh, decisions in this life? So, so I, I don't, you know, I mean, there are more sophisticated arguments against that, but um, so initially, I'm suspicious. the 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 thing that that we did a whole series. If you go um, into back episodes of the Vox podcast, but even the Vox Community podcast, we did a series on hell. Um, and in the Vox Community podcast, that was like eight, uh, seven yeah. or eight weeks, right? Um, and uh, and so I was presenting um, what I think is a legitimate option for folks, which is something called annihilationism, which is that evil ceases to exist. 
uh, but but left open the possibility that perhaps there is a, another chance that people would have once they die and realize that all this turns out to be true. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no biblical. I don't know that there's any biblical warrant for that. But for the idea that that um, annihilationism is true, I think there's some stuff there. So uh, lots of people disagree. Uh, they think eternal conscious torment is not only the traditional view, but the biblical view. Uh, we did a bunch of podcasts on it. So if you're interested, um, we had a guy on named Preston Sprinkle who had edited a book on different views. And uh, that's a great place to start. So um, I don't know. I don't know that I know. I just know um, the, the idea that God is keeping people alive forever in order to torture them for a finite number of sins committed during a finite life, uh, doesn't exactly jive with Jesus's teaching. So that's my opinion, but I get into trouble for that sometimes. Hmm. Okay. Why was the first miracle water being turned into wine when people were probably already drunk? <laughs> which is funny because they probably were i mean as far as from what we know of first century wedding celebrations i mean these these things went on for anywhere from three to seven days and uh yes people were, were most likely drunk um and yes jesus turned water in not into grape juice but into real wine and evidently the best wine yeah so that so that the the banquet master came out and said oh my goodness you know <laughs> why does it last right there there's um so there's several things it seems like going on number one jesus jesus is turning water into wine was done in in um, ceremonial jars and these were jars that were so so John mentions that specific detail that these were like ceremonial jars. So there's a there's a play here going on where Jesus often gets accused for celebrating too much and he'll use bridegroom imagery like, you know, why why man when the when the bridegroom shows up you don't fast, you party. So there's this interesting thing that that Jesus taking this sacrificial ceremonial water, turning that into wine, is Jesus kind of coming, and it's it's a playful announcement of the good news uh, of God's inaugurated kingdom coming now into fruition in Jesus in a, in a manner that would have brought joy uh, to people. So there's a, there's a thought there. Secondly, um, some think that what Jesus is doing is also playing on um, on a, a supposed miracle that the Greek god uh, Dionysius, uh, I believe that's how you say it, um, uh, could turn water into wine and, and was a god over in the Decapolis across the Sea of Galilee. And, and so here's Jesus doing the real thing. John... Uh, names this as one of the seven signs of Jesus's glory, a revelation of Jesus's glory. Uh, not just the miracle itself, but the fact that he did the miracle in an honor-shame culture where the host, uh, uh, the, the, the one throwing the banquet, would have been incredibly shamed by running out of wine. And to us that, you know, you... You, you go down to the store and you buy more. Um, for them, that was an incredibly shame, shameful thing. And so Jesus was doing this to honor his mom because his mom's like, dude, can you do something? And, and <laughs> he's like, mom, come on, um, which is awesome. They had those conversations. So, so there could be a lot of layers going on there. What, what's not going on there is some commentary either for or against drunkenness. That's not at all what's at issue here. Um, the, the, the gifts that God gives, all of them can be abused. That does never stop God from giving them. So whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's fertility, whether it's, um, whether it's, uh, alcohol, any of those things can be good things. Oh, oh, oh speaking of good things. 
Speaking of gifts of God, ladies and gentlemen, Seth Erie coming home from his last day of school. Wave to this camera right here. Say hi. Hi. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Say hello, Facebook. Hi, Facebook. Yep. How was your day today? Nope. Good. Okay. <laughs> we just blew our we just blew our sound system. What did you do today for your last day? You listen to Newsies? No, we're not going to listen to Newsies right now. Yes. Nope. What I want you to do is give Dad a kiss. Okay. Daddy a kiss. This is day. No, we're not going to sing Seize the Day right now. Yes. No. <laughs> no, no, no licking the microphone. Seth Erie, ladies and gentlemen, Facebook Live. Let's hear it for <laughs> the Seth man, Erie. The myth, the legend. Being drug out of the Vox World Headquarters of Bray, California by his sweet mom. All right. Um, uh, so, so I don't think there was any commentary you know, for or against alcohol. I mean, I, any of God's gifts can be abused or enjoyed. And so there you go. Yep. That's, okay. Okay. Killer. All right. At least we knew what that question was referring to. Okay. Now, um... Okay, I might have a makeup question for the first one. Someone asked, I think, something decent. Oh, okay. Uh, let, let's jump to that one. Okay. Um, uh, Brielle here in the comments just said, I just watched the Daniel Project and arguments in that film make it seem like we are in the final chapters of the end times. Okay. What are your thoughts? Do you feel uh, the real or do you feel the second coming will happen in our lifetime? Okay. I do not. Um, and that's a great question. Um uh, we've been in the end time since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's when the end days started. Uh, there are only two epics. There's, there was the, the present age and the age to come, according to Paul and Jesus. And so we're still in the present age, um, but the, uh, the uh, inauguration of the kingdom um, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the pouring out of the Spirit, all of that um, uh, began whatever, you know, these are the last days for 2000 years. We've been in the last days. The, the thing I think people really mistake, uh, is they read Daniel and Ezekiel and they, they, they miss the idea that that biblical prophecy had to do with Israel and had to do with Israel in Israel's relatively immediate future and relatively immediate context. Now, that doesn't mean later New Testament writers won't pick up some of that imagery and use it to press into things that are coming for us. But initially, man, this is a, these were prophecies about exile and the end of exile. Mm. So I, I haven't seen the Daniel Project, but I'm familiar enough with the, that way of interpreting prophecy to say, no, that's not. Prophecy was always intended to produce fidelity um, in the present and not give um, some sort of insightful knowledge into the future. Um, unless, and, and there were times there was knowledge of the future, but that was only given to produce fidelity in the presence, never to satisfy curiosity. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't think Jesus will return in our lifetime. I think that the, all of the speculating uh, and the, the trying to decode that actually goes against Jesus's own words. Um, when, when, uh, he tells his disciples, no one's going to know the day or the hour. Um, you know, he tells them, do not, you know, that th those times aren't for you to know when God will restore the kingdom to Israel. Uh, but you go and be my witnesses. Right. So it can be very easily a sidelining issue. We're, we're working on a series of podcasts about the book of revelation, because I think there you begin to realize 
uh, that, that Christians have dramatically misunderstood something called eschatology, which is the study of the last times. And we've made it into this, this kind of reading the newspaper for the latest clues, you know, treasure hunt <laughs> that, that is, is totally uh, doing violence to the text in the original context. Mm, I don't know. I'm a pretty big Nostradamus fan. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Last question. Great question, Brielle. Um, yeah. I, thank you, Brielle, for chiming yeah. in. Yeah. See, look, we're doing better. Live questions. That works. Okay. I know we idealize many OT prophets' faith in God, but I hardly think stories like Abraham show any extraordinarily and any extraordinary faith. An honest critique is he jacked it all up trying to figure out and do for God what God said he was going to do for him. Right. I mean, the collateral damage from Abraham sleeping with Hagar is disgusting, yet the Bible says he has great faith. Right. If anything, I think this story shows us the reality of God doing for us what he can't fathom or begin to do for ourselves. So what is belief slash faith then? Can God take the disjointed, obscured, and jacked up faith of those who have some idea of a God and what he's like, yet don't get it all quite right, including how they practice or even knowing about Jesus? Can he take our pathetic efforts and also count us as righteous because of Christ doing for us what we can't do for ourselves? Oh, my goodness. Mouthful. Let's just let's raise like four huge issues. <laughs> um, first of all, yes, it is possible in the Old Testament to be a person of great faith and still be jacked up. And that is one of the beautiful reasons why I actually trust a lot of the biblical stories is they they're very unflattering towards the heroes and the heroines of faith. Right? So yes, Abraham, you know, um, and Sarah not waiting upon God uh, for the child of the promise, but instead doing their own thing quite literally with Hagar and uh, the carnage that results from that, of course. Um, in, in terms of uh, how much of Jesus do you need to know? We did a whole podcast on that, on, on the idea of religious pluralism. So I would refer you to that. Uh, what, um, what do we call it? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Yeah, was that what we titled it? Yeah. Something I, like that? It was something like that. But okay. we did a whole podcast on that. And so I don't want to... I don't want to revisit that because in answering it in a short way, you can raise more questions you could possibly ever hope to answer. The, the, the short answer, with, without, if I were going to have to give one without any nuance to all of that, is, well, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, God is so magnificent that he does not need perfect response, perfect understanding, perfect faith, perfect knowledge uh, in, in any way, shape, or form to rescue people. Uh, but evidently, what he's looking for, I mean, the author of Hebrews says, without faith, you cannot please God. Well, there's a sense in which faith isn't just an intellectual thing, and that's always what we mean it as. So how much knowledge do you have to have before you're rescuable? Faith is, as we've said a bunch, an action word. It's a covenant word. It's a kinship word. It's a trust word. It's a, um, it's a allegiance word where um, uh, I demonstrate my faith by what I do. Faith isn't something that I know. Faith is something that I do. And in that sense, you have people, you know, the thief on the cross who looks at Jesus and is like, oh my goodness, dude, I'm sorry this other guy's making fun of you, but please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yeah. And Jesus is like, okay, you're in. And, and, you know, evidently that was an expression of faith, not just right. because the guy believed something rightly about Jesus, although evidently he did, but it was also that he actually there was confidence expressed and trust expressed in this Jesus. And so we've got a number of podcasts back in the vault uh, that deal with covenant faith versus contract faith. And so if you're interested in more, uh, that's where I'd recommend you go. Cool. Great. So that's what we got. All right. Wrap and, it up. and we got Seth theory. Yeah. So we got, a, we had a treat today. That's a bonus. 
And I wish you could see, I don't know how you, clearly you can see on the camera, but his face, his face is just filthy. Somebody <laughs> had a good day on the playground. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. what's the point of playing in dirt if you can't get it all over your face? That's, I mean, there, there is no other point. So, brothers and sisters, thank you. I'm sorry if we butchered your question. I really, we did not mean to do that. Um, and we'd love to hear from you and uh, tell us what you think. Thanks so much.